Thank you, uh, Elder Jerry and Tommy and Rebecca uh, and everybody else who is on this call. Uh, so you probably have already seen the title of the message today, which is according to the fifth commandment that was given to uh, Moses uh, back in the book of Exodus. However, today we're going to go back even further than Exodus and read about Genesis. Now, it's a, I understand that it's a pretty striking story about a father trying, you know, taking the life of uh, his only son. But I think that in this extreme story, there's something that we can learn about how sometimes the actions of our parents and also some of the internal thoughts that we have don't really make much sense when they collide. Um, but nevertheless, where there is uh, disagreement, where there is um, miscommunication in our families at this time and at all the time, there's also abundant love and care that we as families or as siblings or as children and parents have for one another. So uh, the reason why I chose to talk about you know, the fifth commandment and also about this specific story uh, were for three reasons. One of them was a personal reason. The other one is a social reason, so a community reason. And the last one is, of course, a biblical reason. I think that the 10 commandments have been um, something on the back of my mind and something that I wanted to talk to all of you about, sort of following the theme of all 10 um, throughout the next 10 months slowly. Not in a specific order, but just, you know, seeing how those apply to our lives this year. So the personal reason as to why I wanted to talk about this is uh, because two years ago, uh, exactly two years ago on March 2nd, so earlier this week, my grandfather passed away. And I wasn't there for his funeral. And to be quite honest, nobody in my family was. Um, it was a little bit of a difficult experience. Um, he was in a coma for three days and no one was there in the hospital with him. And I think that when I was a busy college student, I, I was sad, but I knew that my grandfather lived a long life and you know, death comes at, at old age. Um, but at the back of my mind, I also felt ashamed for not having any emotional response to that. And I think this week was a little bit difficult for me because I had been processing some of those things. So. Um, the fifth commandment sort of ties to this, his life story, and I'll talk a little bit about that today. Secondly, the social part of it is that um, so many teenagers and little kids and adults and grandparents have told me about how difficult it is to constantly be in each other's presence, especially this year, because parents are working from home. Um, some kids are working from home or doing school at home and we're just, you know, rubbing at each other all the time. This is true for my own family who are thousands of miles apart, even though we aren't even close to each other. Whenever we call and we call almost every day, we still get into fights, even at a great distance. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a thing for all families to constantly be uh, on each other's backs. And lastly, of course, the fifth commandment comes to mind. Um, which is a commandment to honor our father and our mother. So this message this morning is sponsored by parents. 
that's just a joke. It's not sponsored by parents. It's something for us to consider. Uh, but I think something that maybe our parents would be grateful for. So let's just quickly pray, um, quiet our hearts and humble our hearts as well to hear some of the things that might ring true to um, some of our experiences this week, this uh, month, maybe even this year. Uh, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, another sunny, beautiful day uh, in this city. Um, thank you that uh, all of us who are on this call were able to wake up and enjoy the bliss of a good morning. Um, we pray that as we consider the passage in Genesis 22, one of the central passages in Abraham's life and perhaps in Isaac's too, that in this extreme, extreme story of love, death, restoration, that we might hearken to your voice that calls Abraham by his name. Your voice that allowed your only begotten son to come down and to carry the great shame, the great pain and suffering that Isaac and that all of us didn't have to bear because of Jesus Christ. We pray that this reminder would humble us and transform our relationships, even with our parents. We thank you for this morning, once again, and this time. May we meditate on your word and carry it on our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So once again, isn't this passage in Genesis that um, Tommy read this morning, isn't it more really about Abraham's conversation with God rather than his conversation with Isaac? Why are we um, focusing so much on the Abraham and Isaac relationship if they really just have uh, a sliver of a conversation in comparison to the, you know, the majestic conversation that Abraham has with God? And I would make the case that any relationship with God or a relationship with God is directly related to another person or a group. We are not isolated in our relationship with God. Yes, we have this relationship, but it translates immediately to our relationship with other people. You are not isolated in this idea of a relationship. And both in our relationship with God and with our children or our parents, we must understand that they are not perfect. They are not ideal and they have faults and mistakes. And we as children here, all of us have been children or still are children. Um, when we look at our parents, they make decisions that don't make much sense. Our parents make mistakes and that's something that we have a hard time real uh, accepting because growing up, we think our parents, you know, are perfect. But as we grow older, we realize that they make mistakes. And more often than not, they overreact at us when we make mistakes. And that it does hurt, right? We're not going to take it away. From, we're not going to take away that pain that we as children experience. But at the same time, we have to go back to the fact that our parents are not perfect. And a little grace can be given. By looking at Abraham's interaction with Isaac, I hope that we might consider the place of conversation with 
obedience of, and finally, love for our parents at this time and ultimately all the time. Amen. So I decided to take it a little bit creatively today. Uh, we have the Bible and the Bible uh, records historical narratives just as much as it creates a theological framework for us and a moral framework for us uh, to explore and to understand. So the Bible is pretty brief in this, um, in this passage about uh, Isaac's perspective the entire time and Abraham's perspective the entire time. So it leaves a lot of space for imagination. The reason being is that we know that Isaac and Abraham traveled for three days with two other servants. Now, to think that the only conversation that they ever had was, Dad, there is wood and there is fire, but where is the burnt offering? Yes, that is probably a conversation that they did have, but I am sure that they had many, many more. And I chose to think about Isaac's perspective, just to imagine it a little bit sort of adapted to how I would have been thinking about, or maybe you would have been thinking about, you know, the whole uh, procedure of going to this ritual, going to Moriah, climbing up a mountain and realizing that maybe the offering will be me instead of an animal. So we're gonna look at Isaac's perspective through a series of internalized questions. So in uh, the third verse of chapter 22 of Genesis, it says that Abraham got up early in the morning. So he probably woke up Isaac pretty early in the morning. So what was Isaac thinking at that time? Oh, why do I have to get up so early? Why does dad make me go with him to sacrifice? And that's probably something we've all thought of before. Obviously we don't sacrifice, but you know, our parents have made us get up early either for school or for church or for whatever else. So there is a point of relation to Isaac's perspective. And a few hours later, I wonder how dad and his servants navigate us. Do they have like an internal GPS or something? And that's in verse four is that Abraham knew where he needed to go and he was following God. And I'm sure Isaac is thinking, how does dad, you know, know directions so well? That's, I mean, something a kid would wonder um, is how, how are, how are we getting there? And how does dad always know where to go? And in a few hours, I'm tired. We got up early. Are we there yet? And maybe two hours later, are we there yet? It was three days that Abraham and Isaac were traveling. And they saw the place at a distance. So they still had to keep going. And then perhaps another question that Isaac could have had was, wait, why are we leaving everything behind? Is this some special ritual that I don't really know about? Why aren't the servants coming to help us? As, you know, Abraham is telling the servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. I am sure that Isaac has absolutely no idea of what's going on. And then Isaac begins to actually speak to his dad. In verse seven of Genesis 22, as Tommy read this morning, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, 
Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac is trying to make connections. So all of that internal processing is now um, being spoken out loud. And we'll see what, how Abraham responds when we look at Abraham's perspective in just a moment. And after a few moments, once they made it up to the top of the mountain, perhaps Isaac has other internalized questions. Wow, dad is so meticulous about putting these branches on the stone. As verse nine writes, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged wood on it. And after a few more minutes, wait, dad, what are you doing? Why are you picking me up? Verse nine continues, he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And we know in verse 10, he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I'm sure that Isaac is screaming, maybe even out loud, Dad, what are you doing? He can't comprehend. And let's look at Abraham's perspective. Who's a typical dad? Isaac, Isaac, wake up. We have to go now. Isaac, make sure you pack your breakfast. Don't forget to kiss your mother on the cheek gently. She's still asleep. Keep up, Isaac. We've got a three-day journey ahead of us. Quit asking me about what we're, when we're going to get there, Isaac. If you ask me again, Isaac, I am going to make you walk the rest of the way. He's still an overprotective parent. Isaac, it's chilly now. Here, take my coat. Come a little closer to the fire. This is probably somewhere day two, at the end of day two. Isaac, wake up. We'll have to make the rest of the journey on foot. Just you and me. Isaac, hold my hand as you cross this creek. Trust me, I'll never let you fall. Isaac, do you know why we are going up to this mountain? And let's look at the complete conversation now in Genesis 22, seven through eight, as they're climbing up on this mountain. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. How difficult do you think it was for Abraham to say that to his son? I think it was very difficult because I'm trying to imagine what his final words would have been, what Abraham would have thought were the final words to his son who was promised to him, who was, who was going to be the, you know, his only son who would carry the line 
and who would fulfill that covenant that God made with Abraham, that he would be the father of many nations. Amen. Isaac, we know that your mother and I waited so many years for you. Isaac, you are my blessing. Hands trembling, Abraham reached for the knife. And perhaps an internalized question that Abraham has this entire time, the three days of walking, and in that final moment, why God? And this is the relationship that he has with God. But you see how it ties directly to his relationship with another person, his son, his only son. We continue reading in Genesis 22, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And that's in verse 12 of chapter 22. When I was thinking about the deep agony of those three days, I really was moved by the conversation that Abraham had with Isaac. It's the only recorded and pronounced one that's sort of right in the middle of this passage. I wondered what was internalized and what was actually said out loud. What was Isaac hesitant to say to his father? And what about everything that Abraham couldn't say to his son? Knowing what he had to do, knowing that he needed to kill his only begotten son, could Abraham bring him, could Abraham bring himself to say, I love you, Isaac. I don't think so. I think it was very difficult for him. So my grandfather passed away on March 2nd, 2019. From what my own father told me, I knew that he had hurt him and his siblings, so my dad and his siblings, uh, when my dad was in his late teens. And when my dad began to identify as a Christian, uh, my grandfather disowned him and said that he is no longer uh, in this family. So throughout my childhood, I watched my dad struggle to obey his father as they were to restore the relationship. And I watched him struggle even more as an adult. And ultimately they did forgive each other and they restored the relationship to some degree. But my grandfather never, ever told my father that he loved him. And even though my father's internal wounds will remain a scar probably for the rest of his life, even in the midst of all of the mistakes and all of the hurt, and there was a lot, there, I won't go into details. I think he still sensed his father's deep love for him, despite not ever saying those words and making all of those mistakes against his wife and against his kids, and against his entire family. 
so many parents and even my own parents and grandparents and all people have told me over and over again how difficult it is for them to pronounce those three words to their children. But maybe it's not the words that matter. Maybe it's every moment when we are beside our parents that carry the depth and the meaning of their life. Because like Abraham couldn't fully explain to Isaac why he was taking him up to the mountain, but he could care for him in those three days that they were beside one another. Perhaps that is the ultimate example of a father's love for his son. And what about us as kids? Have we internalized some things like Isaac and we and just too afraid to ask or to pronounce because we know our parents might not give us the answer that we're looking for? On, an, on the other side of this, have we disobeyed our parents? I think we all have. Have we dishonored our parents through our words and our actions? And in all of this, have we gone against the fifth commandment? And as Tommy also read Ephesians 6, it begins with a good reminder. As children, we have been given the fifth commandment to honor our father and mother with the promise that this obedience and honoring will bring long life and well-being. People tell you you have to exercise and eat well. Well, I think the Bible says the fifth commandment is obey your parents and you will live well. It doesn't matter if you exercise or eat healthy. If you disobey, your life will be cut short. Notice what's unique is that there is no commandment in all 10 for parents. And I actually think it's kind of funny because growing up, the only books on my parents' bookshelves other than the Bible were parenting books about how to raise godly children, how to be godly parents, how to be the best parent for your child, how the Bible teaches them to be good parents. At church, they signed up for a bunch of small groups that talked about raising their kids, uh, making sure that they communicate their love correctly, all of that. But I wonder as kids, and I don't, I didn't, I never had a book like this in my life uh, as a child or as a teenager. I never read a single book about how to be a good child. There is no childrening books. <laughs> Are there even books about how to be good kids? I don't, I don't think so, because. I think God, omnipotent and all-knowing of all time, foresaw that writers and publishers in our day and age wouldn't be as concerned about, you know, making sure that children are good to their parents. So they he knew that he needed to be the one to give this commandment to Moses. It's just a joke. But consider the place of this commandment as an interesting one. And I don't think that a single person, no matter how prolific a writer um, they are, would be able to say it better than the fifth commandment says it. To honor your father and your mother 
so that you may live long in the land the Lord is giving you. So the question comes up is why I titled the sermon, is my parent also my neighbor? First of all, I'm not very good at giving titles to things. But second of all, I think we've been talking a lot about who our neighbor is. We've defined our neighbor as, you know, the person living in the tent, the person in our community, the elderly person in our community. We've defined our neighbor as our physical neighbor, somebody who might have different political or uh, economic uh, backgrounds or views. Um, we've defined our neighbor as our classmate who's like on the other side of the Zoom call. So we've given, you know, objective, um, definitions and applications of how we can treat those neighbors. But I think we overlook our neighbor who's also been working from home or has been struggling to keep us safe because they are going to work because they work for an essential organization. We've overlooked that neighbor. Ultimately though, our parents aren't just our neighbors. They are our family. And as this wonderful, wonderful childhood cartoon taught us, that Ohana means family. And that family means nobody gets left behind or forgotten because everyone is loved. And this love, whether spoken or unspoken, is according to Jesus' commandment to love one another, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And more so, it is according to Jesus' example as he hung on the cross, stripped naked, ashamed before his mother's eyes. In his final words found in the Gospel of John, he looks towards Mary and instructs the beloved disciple who's standing next to her to take her into his home and to care for her. Jesus hanging on the cross is experiencing deep agony and pain, far greater than what Abraham felt or any of us really feel. In the deep agony and pain that was placed upon Jesus, Instead of Isaac, or instead of you and me, Jesus doesn't just say, I love you, mom. Instead, by ensuring that his mother will be protected and comforted for the future, Jesus shows us what the fifth commandment is in perfect essence. Because Mary, who is the mother of Jesus, would have been shamed for the rest of her life because her son hung on the cross, died the most shameful form of death among murderers and thieves. Do, you, do we understand just how difficult it would have been for Mary to you know, survive in that society? Nevertheless, Jesus says, I will take care of you, Mary, even when I am not here, because you are my mother and I do have that special connection with you. And not in so many words, not in just, I love you, mom, even though that probably 
is exactly what he was saying. So consider this as a closing thought. In the three days that Abraham and Isaac walked up to the mountain, and in the three days that Jesus experienced death before his victorious resurrection, there were certain silences, there were certain fears and lamentations that were pronounced. Nevertheless, there were recorded conversations in the biblical text that we turn to. Abraham with Isaac and Jesus with Mary and the beloved disciple. We have record of those conversations. What's striking in all of this is that both Abraham and Jesus were obedient before God. And ultimately, the deep love that penetrated and conquered, stretched and sank deep down into the darkness of death is the love that trickles down and transforms our familial relationships. Because once again, Ohana means family, and family means no one is left behind or forgotten because everyone is loved. And that's all I have for the meditation. Let's prepare now for our communion. Praise the Thank you. Thank you, Sister Soria. Wonderful deep thought preaching described God's love, described his command, how we should love our parents through honoring them. Praise the Lord for such a wonderful message. So each month we resumed our uh, monthly communion is to re 